welcome to the Council for Unplugged podcast. I'm Larry Dorman at Council for AFSCME. We are proud to represent 29,000 working women and throughout the great state of Connecticut. And today's podcast, we're going to have a special focus on Black History Month. And our guests are three Council for local leaders. Harold Brooks, who is the co-chair of our Council for Civil Rights Committee and president of Local 3144, uh, the New Haven Supervisors, Claudine Chambers, who is an executive board member of Council 4 and a member of Local 3429, the New Haven Paraprofessionals Union, and Patricia Davis, who is the president of AFSCME Local 318, which is one of our state clerical unions. So, Harold, Claudine, and Pat, just want to, first of all, thank you very much for giving us some of your time this morning. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And Harold, I'd like to, yeah, yeah, it's great to hear you, Claudine. So, Harold, I'd like to start with you. Uh, again, you are the co-chair of our Civil Rights Committee. And I wanted to throw this out at you. Uh, our national AFSCME, President Lee Saunders, uh, recently said that Black History Month is a call to remain faithful to the past and continue advancing the cause of racial and economic justice. So for you, what is the significance of Black History Month relative to President Saunders' statement? Well, first of all, again, thank you, uh, Larry, for doing this um, and and giving me the opportunity to share my thoughts um, on this uh, subject. And so I would say that uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly with uh, President Lee Saunders when he says that, um, you know, this is a call for us to remain faithful, um, not only to the past, but to continue advancing uh, the agenda of uh, racial equity and economic justice uh, to, the, to the future of generations. Um, it's important because I think sometimes we can we can feel like we have arrived and the work is completed because we are in 2022. Um, but the reality is that uh, while we have uh, come a long way, there is a lot of work to do. And so our job is as unionized brothers and sisters and those of us that who are uh, within the African-American culture, uh, it's important for us to keep uh, our history and our focus um, active and alive. And, and while I know they've delegated February's Black History Month, um, but Black history is really every month of the year. So uh, we got to stay diligent and remain faithful to that cause. That, that's, that's a great point about really it, it's, it's every month of the year. Uh, Claudine, I wanted to ask you, um, as you know, as everyone knows, the, the history of AFSCME includes the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King working right alongside the striking Memphis sanitation workers in 1968 before his tragic assassination. For you, Claudine, what does the intersection of civil rights and labor rights mean? Okay, for me, the intersection of civil rights and labor rights mean to me the fact that uh, I would say that they both are joined together or they should be joined together. In 2022, it's hard to believe we are still fighting for labor rights and civil rights. I feel us slipping back into ways of the past and having to discuss and fight for things that I thought were resolved decades ago. Like the 
the right to vote, equal pay for housing, and the right to organize. Dr. King lost his life for the very things we are still fighting for today in labor and civil rights. So we can't stop fighting until labor rights and civil rights become equal and permanent for working people. We have to make sure we continue to keep the legacy of Dr. King's alive to organize, organize, because that's the very thing that Dr. King died for. So we can't let up. Agreed, agreed. And, and Pat Davis, I wanted to kind of uh, sort of riff off that question regarding Dr. King and that he gave his life, lost his life, uh, helping sanitation workers try to get a foothold in the middle class and they were being denied their rights. Um, public service jobs have been a, a sturdy ladder of opportunity for, for black and brown families in the face of um, what we know is systemic discrimination. Um, and, and fortunately, uh, as you know, Pat, these jobs uh, are heavily unionized. They come with a union card. So can you reflect personally on how union membership in the public sector, you work from the state of Connecticut, of course, how that creates a, a pathway to the middle class and uplifts communities of color? Absolutely, Larry. And again, uh, thank you for Council for for doing this and making this happen, and particularly during Black History Month. But me personally have been a member of the clerical bargaining unit since 1995. And being a part of that has secured my compensation. And I meet people into Claudine's point, you know, Dr. King died for us to have the right to unionize. He was fighting for our rights. And when you take that into position and in, in its totality and how it has personally impacted me to have the opportunity to be of a collective bargaining unit. You know, it's not only with pride, but it has also given me the opportunity, as you said, to in, secure my compensation. The union has helped me secure my compensation over the many years of the employment. The contracts haven't been fought for and um, the union fighting for us working class people to integrate into sometimes middle class. It's not only secured um, me by compensation, you know, the general wage increases that we've gotten, we've gotten comparable health benefits because of the union, um, secure time off when you don't have to worry about losing your wages, such as sick time and PL time. And, you know, and the this position as and members have always, you know, put us in a place for working hard and, you know, accepting mm. the fact that the union has done that for us. Right, right. Uh, well said. And uh, again, our guests today are Harold Brooks, president of AFSCME Local 3144 and co-chair of our Civil Rights Committee, Claudine Wilkins-Chamber, who serves on our Council for Executive Board and is a member of Local 3429, the New Haven Paraprofessionals Union, and Patricia Davis, who's the president of Local 318, which is one of our state clerical bargaining units. And we're talking about Black History Month, but really what we're talking about on this podcast, is, as Harold Brooks said, is um, a fight in a campaign uh, that needs to stretch out over every month. And Harold, I wanted to ask you uh, to respond to some disturbing numbers. As of 2021, one in five Black workers held public sector jobs, yet among those employed in the public sector, white households have about twice the wealth of Black households. But the chasm is way worse in the private sector, Harold. Black households have only about a dime of wealth 
for every dollar held by white households. In your mind, how can the labor movement help fix this and why must the labor movement help fix this? That's a very good question, uh, Larry. Um, and I, I think before we can even get into some of the uh, nuances of fixing uh, this issue as union brothers and sisters, um, I think we have to look at the the uh, curse word, if you will, of politics. Um, mm -hmm. And while many of our members don't like to get involved in politics, it is a needful thing. Uh, just borrowing from my sister's word, Claudine, uh, which you talked about voting rights. Um, voting rights is under attack in America. And um, also what we see is a lot of gentrification going on where they're moving uh, people of color out of cities where the jobs are to the suburbs. Uh, and they're doing this by making the rent and uh, housing to be so astronomical people can't afford it. And so they got to go out to the suburbs and take two and three buses just to get in to get to a job that's minimum wage. Um, and so we see that this sort of, uh, and even the redistricting of uh, voting lines to marginalize uh, black and brown voices. Um, and so we see that this is going on in our society. And so one of the things that the union can do to make sure uh, that we're in this fight uh, it's because every household that is lifted up means we're lifted up. And so to lift up the black and brown community uh, to make sure that the income disparity uh, or even the wealth income uh, disparity is decreased uh, by ensuring that, you know, if a black man is, is getting paid a dollar less than a white man, that we make sure that uh, they get equal pay. Uh, we know that, you know, for women, it's even worse. Um, and, and we have in some of, uh, the black and brown communities where we have heads of household are women. And so the cycle just continues. Um, uh, and so it's important that as union brothers and sisters, that we don't put our head in the sand, but that we look with a forward, uh, trajectory and try to elevate all people, uh, in, in the workforce and make sure that everyone has a seat at the table because, at the end of the day, I think the end of the goal is that we all want to feed our children, whether we're black, white, Jew or Gentile. We all want to right. secure our futures with our children. So um, hopefully yeah. I didn't ramble on too long, but, you know, that, that no, is a that very was... good question. And, and it's certainly it's something that needs to be addressed by the unions. Yeah, and that was no, that was an incredibly thoughtful response. And before I move on, though, it, I, I think if I could also paraphrase what you just said. Um, Really, the fact the the wage gap is undeniable and it's problematic. But um, if we view it only as um, a problem for black and brown families or a problem for um, women who are heads of households and working, uh, we're missing the point, right? Because really, it's Absolutely. everybody's problem. Absolutely, and and like I said earlier, if you know, we as a union, if we lift every household regardless of color, creed, um, we're lifting ourselves. And so, and that's the idea. Right, thank you. Claudine, um, I know you uh, have been extensively involved in um, civil and labor rights throughout your career in, in New Haven. And um, I, I wanted to ask you, it's obviously one way that 
we have to create some of the change that, that, that Brother Harold just talked about is to make sure that we have black voices, black and brown voices in our unions and that in leadership positions at workplaces, in our political bodies and in our communities. Representation matters and it's especially important for, for younger the younger generation to witness. Um, can you share some of your own experiences and thoughts about making sure that we have black and brown voices, whether it's at the bargaining table, whether it's in the community, or whether it's in you know the halls of Congress or the state legislature? That is very important to have black and brown voices in our unions, in leadership positions, and in workplaces. Also in politics, which is extremely important nowadays because of what's going on around the country. And in the communities, I've always made it a business of mine to be involved in as many organizations and groups as I can possibly put my face in. Because if my face is in that group, I'm representing the people who look like me and who are disenfranchised. My experience have always been to try and make sure that I involve young people as well, because they need to know how the system works. After all, they need to be a part of the discussion and active for a better workplace and a better society. I've always tried to be involved in many, many community activities, and especially in my union, because unions are important to working people and those who don't work yet. I make a, it makes a difference when you're involved. You become a part of the solution and not a big part right. of the problem. Right. Right. You know, clearly we need to be making more progress, you know, within the labor movement, within the political structure. And that's kind of why you have always been active and why you've marched. Pat, I'm wondering, Harold said something before and Claudine actually said it before that it's 2022 and things aren't quite where we hope they would be or should be. Um, Right now in this climate, as you've seen, we're seeing continued and, quite frankly, vicious attacks going on um, on civil rights, on labor rights, on equal opportunity rights, on housing, and um, especially alarming of late voting rights. Um, how concerned are you uh, as a union leader, uh, as a woman of color over these attacks? And how do you think we as a labor movement are obligated and can push back so that we realize Dr. King's vision, which quite frankly is is being undercut by all of these attacks? Me personally, of course I'm very concerned because you made two very valid points. I'm a black woman and it's very difficult to maneuver this thing called life in my position in my role as a black woman. But I'm also very optimistic that, you know, over 400 plus years we've had to endure these attacks and in 2022 um the process it has it's the same you know it it, it seems like we've gotten for for we've moved forward Harold and Claudine both mentioned that you know we have to continue the fight and the fight will continue because although it feels as though or if you look at it on the surface that we've made progress as a people and we have not to neglect or negate any of that because we have, but there's a lot of work to be done. Mm -hmm. And I truly am concerned about the attacks, but for me, I don't think it's a position where we should position ourselves in a pushback 
mode. We need to figure out how to push forward and to keep the rhetoric out of it and to figure out how we can continue to move things forward because Dr. King and all our ancestors that fought so hard for this to happen, and we know we are, the people of color are a strong people. And regardless to how it's perceived and regardless to how it's looked at from people that are not of color, that, you know, we are the weaker one, but that's why we're in the midst of this rhetoric. That's why we're in the midst of this, you know, they wanted to attack all the things that we fought so hard for. But as a people, we have to continue fighting we have to continue to educate. We have to continue to get to the table, even though they don't want us there. And, and it feels bad that, you know, we have so much to offer as a people. And as Harold said, it doesn't just affect the black and brown. It affects the world. It affects everyone and all of us. You know, if we all do well, we all do well. You know, so if, if people of color are doing and getting the job done and, you know, having voting rights and participating, you know, our children who some may think are not qualified, which they are, you know, will have a better opportunity. So it is very alarming. It's very concerning. But again, me and the way I sit, I'm going to be a, I'm a fighter and I'm going to continue to fight. I'm going to do my part until the day I die. I'm going to help. I'm going to stay strong in my faith. I'm going to stay strong in what I believe in and what our Dr. King and all of the rest of them fought for. So there is opportunity for us to continue. It's going to always be like they think that we're not qualified black and brown people, but we are. It's going to always be people. And all that is, Larry, unfortunately, is just threat. They're just threatened by it. Always been that way, yep. but it's we will continue Absolutely. to move forward. And I, I know Harold, working with Harold and closely and Claudine on the Civil Rights Committee, I feel like that is just for me as a younger person. I'm not young, but as a younger person in this fight, I know that that gives me so much faith and so much hope that we will continue to do what's need to be done to get us to the next the next generation and look at look at us look where we are now look at our discussion right now you know so i'm concerned but i'm optimistic Um, larry can i just jump in there for a minute just add something to what sister dave said i thought what she said was profound um but i i also want to challenge people not to think that we have arrived and i think the reason why we need to keep that alarm bell rolling and sounding is because sometimes when people feel like we've already arrived and we've reached a plateau, we stop working. And anytime you stop working, there's the danger of repeating history. And we see that now what's going on in Congress um, uh, with the the voting rights. Um, And as it was pointed out so eloquently, so many people have, have given their lives, laid down their lives, lost their lives, just so people can have the right to vote, both black and white. Uh, and to say only blacks died to, to vote, it's not true. I think about the young uh, men that went to Mississippi um, and they were killed because they were trying to get black people to vote. And so, um, and even the freedom riders. And so I think we got to keep this urgent sounding alarm going because the moment mm-hmm. we begin to mm-hmm. rest on our laurels, uh, that's exactly. when we 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 suffer the the potential of repeating history. Exactly. No, again, uh, very well said. I, I wanted yeah. to close out with a. Oh, Claudine. Yeah. I want I want to just add to what Harold and and Pat just said. 
we will never arrive until the prejudice against black and brown people is killed and buried. That's when we know for sure that we have arrived. Agreed. Agreed. And given that, what you just said, Claudia, and I, I think I'd like to ask all of you in, in closing uh, a question that <laughs> in some ways I feel like you shouldn't be having to answer, but nonetheless, I'm going to, to ask you um, in speaking to our, our union members, uh, what are the ways uh, that people can celebrate and uplift Black heroes and learn about Black History Month in a way that it's more than just one month a year? I'll throw that out to any or all of you. Okay, I'll respond. I'm sure all, all three of us will. For me, every month is Black History Month. I think it should be taught in the schools around America and in other parts of the world. February is a very short month, mm -hmm. but it gives me the opportunity to reflect on the ways that our people have been deeply advanced in some areas and not in others. And the contributions and accomplishments of my people to this country, I find that year after year, I discover that there's so much to be proud of and so much more to be done to be proud of. And I'm talking about the accomplishments from the past and the present. The number of black scientists and inventors is inspiring. The number of black judges as well. And with the recent vacancy that was announced in the Supreme Court, my heart swells at the idea that the brilliance of black women who serves as lawyers and judges being acknowledged and highlighted, it's about time. So this month, I'm encouraging young people, especially because I work with young people, to read all that they can about these men and women so that they will know that their possibilities will never be limited. Thank you for having this podcast, Larry. Yeah. Uh, Harold and Pat, would you like to? Uh, I would just like to chime in. Well? If, can I just chime in real quick? This is Pat. Please. And I... Um, to Claudine's point, we have so many people that are um, prestigious and have done things. And I think that we have to be mindful of the people are who like are more like me or more people that are the working class and middle class, because I oftentimes feel like they don't feel like they matter because they have not reached a certain level of education or a level of prestige or in their employment. But and, and sometimes there lies the problem in our success because, you know, when I was in town running, I, the local politics running for the Board of Ed and sitting out, having a seat on the Board of Ed and working with the town council, so many people came over and, you know, commended me, people that were more like me. And they were like, Pat, thank you so much because we don't often feel like we have a voice. And, you know, and I want to make sure that I give a voice to the voiceless and we have to encourage those people to get involved in local politics and talk more about their ability to just have the heart to know that they can make a difference 
even if they have to come home from working a job and then a part-time job and have to feed their family, that they can still get involved and make a difference and be a part of the solution and not the problem. Because it, it, it it's the, the union has given, like I said earlier, given me an opportunity to have a fair compensation, you know, and it's given me an opportunity to feed my kids and help my children get to college. It's been a sacrifice, of course. Absolutely is a sacrifice because you you made a point that was a startling statistic about that dime on every dollar. I mean, I never heard that really. And when you said that this morning, Larry, it was like, oh, my God, overwhelming to think about that. But bread and milk cost the same. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Everything, gas and everything yeah. costs the same. So I think for us in our position, you know, whether you are a doctor, a lawyer or a secretary, you have to understand people of color have to continue to fight. We have to work together. And it's about education. And it's about what the Civil Rights Committee did for ASME, bringing in those movies and those um, bringing those those evenings, those Friday night movie nights and bringing history and bringing it back so that people can see what we've been through, what we're going through and where we're going to get to. And it, it mm. that's all about the education and understanding. So I think it's very important that we continue to do that. And again, I don't think it's a, it, we definitely know it's not a quick fix. I think it's a fight that we will continue to fight. And I think we will continue to win. And as Harold said, don't think we made it, but we're still, we're just going to keep fighting. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I appreciate your saying that. And um, Harold, I didn't know if you two wanted yes. to respond, but I, I, I do if I can. Um, of course. Uh, so one one of the things that um, just to, to hit it on on a on a nutshell, I think what Black and Brown communities, union brothers and sisters need are allies, right? So we need allies, people who um, see our plight or see the plight of black and brown uh, families. And and you you speak up, right? When you see Mm -hmm. an injustice, you see something being done wrong, um, that you speak up and and say something. Um, There's a saying that's commercial. If you see something, say something. And so um, oftentimes it's really not about guilting white people. Um, but it's about mm-hmm. growing the playing field. And so uh, because black and brown are a minority within this country, um, you know, and, you know, we are we're not the majority. Um, we're going to need allies. Right. Because we can't do this all by ourselves. And so I, I think people of good faith and people of goodwill, uh, both union and non-union, uh, need to be allies. Um, and, and Sister Pat brought it out so eloquently about what the civil rights committee tried to do uh, in the summer months. And that was to bring a little bit of history and a little bit of culture uh, to the union brothers and sisters to kind of expose them uh, to some of the truths and some of the experiences that their union brothers and sisters are experiencing. And sometimes at the hands of other union members. So one of the things that the union can do as union brothers and sisters to support black and brown union brothers and sisters is one, support black owned businesses. Um, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. more than just talking mm-hmm. the talk, but actually let's walk the walk. Support black owned right. businesses, uh, support, you know, black museums in terms of history, uh, push for curriculum in the public school system that is uh, a, a curriculum that's more inclusive 
of the right. American history and American true story. Um, push out of the comfort zone um, and push back when we see an injustice that is actually taking place, even it's within our own house of ASME, uh, or it's in another union, or if it's on the work site, it's in the workplace. We have mm -hmm. to push back uh, because uh, when we when we stand up for one another, um, then we're celebrating one another. And by celebrating one another, we end up celebrating um, Black history all year long and not just in one month, uh, but we celebrate by actually engaging in doing this work. Beautifully said. Um, I just want to thank the three of you so much. Our guests have been Harold Brooks, who is the co-chair of Council 4's Civil Rights Committee and president of uh, Local 3144, the New Haven uh, Management Union, Claudine Chambers, who is a New Haven paraprofessional uh, member of Local 3429, serves as a, a vice president of Council 4, and Patricia Davis, also uh, on our executive board, president of Local 318, which is one of our state clerical units, and all of you uh, contribute vitally to our union civil rights committee. And I uh, appreciate you taking the time to join us today in our Council Forum Plug Con podcast. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for having, having us. us. Yeah, it was Thank great. Thank you, Larry, for having us. You know. Great. Great. Great conversation. And Yes, uh, important, important conversation. Uh, thank you all again. And to our listeners out there, we will see you soon. And remember that you have been unplugged. As always, thanks for listening to our Council 4 Unplugged podcast. You can find us on all major social platforms by searching for Council 4 AFSME. Our website is council4.org. My name is Larry Dorman, and you've been unplugged. <laughs>